You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Welcome back to another edition of the Best Practices Show. And man, do I have a great one for you today. I got my good friend, Paul Slutton on. And Paul has been a trusted resource for many, many years. I've been doing this for 25 years. And Paul's my go-to guy whenever I have questions about transition. And what I know about transition is it's difficult. It's challenging. There are nuances to it. It's a moving target. There are things that we're learning all the time. And today we're going to be talking about the team member's role in transition. A lot of times we like to talk about the financial impact, how we bring in an associate, buy in, buy out, all those things. But now we're going to talk about the people that make it work, which are the team members. So, Paul, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it, brother. My pleasure. Great um, to be with you again. Always good to be with you. And I was just sharing with you, I was on a call with Angela right before. She's like, I love Paul. Can you tell him hello? It's always great to get help from you. And you've been doing this a long time. So I always like to start here with every episode that we do is just a little bit of background on who you are. Because I want our listeners, because we do have a lot of dental students and younger dentists listening. I want them to know who Paul Slutton is. So Paul, who are you? I've been working with the dental profession uh, exclusively for more than 45 years. And we focus on transitions, helping people plan them, helping people implement them successfully, and everything in between. And that means buying a practice, selling a practice, uh, growing by acquisition, uh, some putting partnerships together, sometimes taking them apart. You and I have talked about that previously. Um, and, and we also work carefully with each client to help them connect their practice transition plans with their life plans. It's really important to make them congruent yeah. and, to be, and to be carefully linked. Yeah, now go back to some, that just for a second. Tell us why those two things have to be linked. Most people focus on, and I've done this myself in, early in my career, most people focus on financial things uh, on, on steps in a transition and things like that, timetables. And, and what you also need to do is you need to coordinate and tie 
your practice transition plan with your life plan. I've seen people put business plans together and then have their life plans uh, sabotage the business plan because they were never connected or never discussed or never processed. Yeah. So the life planning is of huge importance in terms of success in transitions. We're all in transition all the time, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, personally, professionally, and everything else. And 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 we need to build skills at becoming successful in transitions. Yeah. And that is that absolutely has to involve putting a life plan together. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because you and I have shared many experiences, some of them not so much fun. So if you're a young dentist listening, you're 32, you might think, well, I don't need to worry about transition. No, you should have a transition plan. Everybody should have a 100 day plan when something happens that you weren't planning for. Unfortunately, many years ago, we lost one of our favorite people of all time. He was 47 and he was riding motorcycle in Mexico. And you were there the very next day to help the family and everyone deal with that. And I thought that guy would live forever. And uh, those are sad things that happen. We don't like to think about them, but having a plan in place, even if you're a young dentist is critical. Uh, for those unexpected things that happen. So totally agree. So Paul, today, now this is a unique topic because, you know, people always say, oh yeah, we have a, we have a plan for the team. It's not tell them that's as far as they go with transition. So why, let's talk right. about the why how, and, and, and on this subject when it comes to transition, why is this so important? Let me tell you a story, something that happened very, very early in my career when we moved from Minneapolis to Denver and, and one of my first clients wanted me to help him sell his practice. And I uh, said yes. And we got involved. And, he, and in our first meeting, he said, I don't want my team to know anything about this. I don't want anybody but you and me, Paul, and, uh, and my banker and my attorney to know anything about this. And I and that's how we did it. I found him a buyer and and we put it all together and the and the loan was approved, the contracts were signed and it was all in place. And he finally told his people on the day of the closing. And so he that day he asked his uh, team to stay after work for a few minutes because he had something to talk to them about, and I was there. He invited me to come over. So I watched this doctor tell his team, there were seven women seated in the, in the reception area, and I watched him and listened to him tell his team that he has sold the practice, the new owner will be here on Monday, and I know you're really gonna like him. And, and uh, any questions? And I, lo I looked around the room and, and faces were becoming red. Some people were angry. Some people were were crying, and they all felt betrayed. Yeah, because they'd been working with him for a very, very long time. And uh, as as I left that meeting and went home, on the way home, I made a vow and I said, "I will never participate in a transition like this again." I felt terrible for for having it happen that way. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, our, pro our process has been a heavily team-based process. 
once you're in here, here's the way I like to put it. Once you, you need to put a plan together first. Okay. And you need to be ready to implement your plan. You need to coordinate it with advisors, uh, your accountant, you know, and, and your other advisors, financial advisors, and you need to uh, have that plan in place. But if you're going to go find someone to join the practice and with you staying, or if you're going to go find someone to take over the practice as you exit, um, you need to include the team. Now, I know that I know that most brokers around the country think that that's crazy. Yeah. Now they, go into that too, because you're flying in the face of conventional wisdom by saying, yes. and tell us why, tell us both sides. Yeah. Okay. So if you set it up this way, which would you rather have a team that, that finds out on the day of the closing, what a, what a monster event that is. And then, and then have the new owner have to deal with, with uh, their response. Yeah. And you're much more likely to lose people doing it that way than you are if you bring them into your confidence and, and ask them to be confidential with patients and, and uh, with everything else and involve them. So we had a situation where we, hundreds and hundreds of situations like this, but where, where we go out and do a search and a placement and you end up uh, narrowing it down to three or four candidates. Okay. And those candidates come to the practice and look at the practice and are interviewed and the team meets them and everything else. The, the feedback from the team back to us is invaluable because they, their insights, their first impressions are the very same that the patients are going to have. And and uh, and so we involve we not only involve them awareness wise we involve them in the process. Right. So we had a we had a young doctor just out of dental school who went into a pretty sophisticated practice and looked at it and he was interviewed by the team and I had a conversation with the team for about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And I called him afterwards and I said, "How did your uh, how did your time go to with the team?" And he said. It was amazing. He said, I felt like I was on a grill turning on the spit for an hour and a half. He says, they asked me everything about myself, my family, my uh, why I became a dentist, how I wanted to practice, and all those kinds of things. And he said, I had answers to about 25% of those questions. Yeah. And, and he said, but I realized that every one of those questions is important. Yeah. So. I would much rather have them well informed and be in on the uh, even on the selection process. It's a doctor's call, but but their feedback is and input is incredibly important. It is, it is, and let's just call a few things out. And I'm going to open up Pandora's box because you've been a part of some of the transitions in these difficult situations. Um, yeah. You're really talking about. So I'm going to go back and answer your question as a, if you care about your team you're going to want to involve them in this process. You're not going to want to just dump them. If you're looking for the money, now this is really, I'm not saying anything other than let's just call it out. Look, if I need the money, I'm not going to involve the team and I need the cash, they're going to be okay. And you, that screams like the money's more important than what I've built here. 
that's the truth of that situation and it does happen. But there are a certain market, mostly the people that we serve, who have built a lifetime of building a great team in a relationship-based situation. They care about the people that they employ. They know their families, they know their children, and these people have worked here for a long time. So they care about their well-being. And so having them involved in the process is important. Now I'm gonna ask you about the downsides in just a second, but I wanna tell a story from your stories. We had an unfortunate situation where we had a dentist pass away and it destroyed us. And you took over the process. And I was so grateful because I was emotionally a mess. I mean, I went to the bottom. It was a dentist that we all loved. And you guided all of us, the family through the process. And there was a person who was willing to write a check, a big one for the practice. And you said, no way. We're going with this one. And that kid still has the practice. And I look back at that and Paul, I don't know how you knew what you knew, but that was the perfect buyer for him. And I even asked him about it. And he's like, no, this was the perfect situation for me. I don't know how you knew, but you said to me, we're not going for the biggest dollar here. We're going for the right fit. Can you explain a little bit more about that? I would love to. That situation was, again, just an amazing uh, case study for the value of a team. If you recall, when the doctor died, um, suddenly, Mm -hmm. shockingly, uh, the team communicated with every patient in the practice. Yes. And they said, uh, we're still here, and you're still a member of this practice, and you have an appointment on next Tuesday at 2.30, and we're looking forward to seeing you. We'll have the practice covered. And by the way, we're already looking for another doctor to come in permanently and keep the practice together. And over that period of time, they they played amazing roles. And, And the team, one of the things I remember so vividly, I was there for two days, um, and the team, every patient that came in just broke down and cried. Yeah because they were grieving and the team was grieving. So the team had to, had to go through that emotional experience hundreds of times over the months. And that practice got held together because of the team. And we saw a lot of different candidates. It was a fine, fine practice opportunity. But you know, the old, the old deal is if, if the doctor's not there, the practice is worthless and, and will sell for nothing. That's absolutely true in some cases but in this case it wasn't even close to true because the team was there and the patient stayed it took four and a half months to sell that practice uh which was agonizing because we wanted to do it in two weeks uh but it took four and a half months and after that period of time the the attrition in terms of the active patients was something like they lost 11 people Wow. Who left the practice and everyone else stayed. And the, the, one of the huge reasons why the, why the doctor who now owns it and is thriving in that practice was chosen is because the team loved him. They did. They did. And they made it really clear because we involved the team uh, just like we've been discussing yeah. in that whole process. I love it. Now, that's obviously a 
sad circumstance and unfortunate one. And, you know, my hope is if you're listening to this, we're going to talk about the other side of the fence in which you're in a good place. You know, you've saved money and now you're getting ready to transition and you're not in a hurry to transition. You know, that's a big piece of it too. I'll just call out another thing that we see, Paul, and you can speak to this. When you're selling your practice and you need the money, that is a different sale than when you don't need the money. That when you don't need the money and it's just gravy on top of your retirement, now you can be a little bit patient. You're, you know, you're looking for the right situation, not just the fastest situation. True or false? True. It's really almost impossible if the seller comes to the table in a needy financial position to have a win-win outcome because they have to get every penny out of the out of the sale and they often drive off the buyer because that clearly is the number one issue yeah if somebody if if somebody the, the person who's done a good job with financial planning and and been disciplined over their careers uh comes to the table in a very different way they're going to get the same amount of money at the closing but they're looking to put it together in a in a real winning fashion for the successor as well because that kind of practice is what you and i call a legacy practice and that's a practice that can continue serving that community for many many decades after the exit of the founder yeah i love it i love it now can i ask you about the downside so i'm totally if i'm listening to you and i'm a young dentist i'm totally picking up what you're putting down but talk to me about the downsides that might happen if I include my team in this discussion? Are there any downsides, potential downsides, or things that you would consider best practices when it comes to involving your team in this process? Yeah, I would just say that if you have a, if you have a, a hierarchical structure with your, with your staff, uh, that, that was probably not a good idea to tell them and involve them in the process because they're not going to want to be involved in the process because you don't, you haven't worked on building those relationships and all of that trust. Okay. Uh, so that would be, that would be more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a situation right now that I've been actively involved in this week where we're representing a buyer and the buyer is, um, the, the seller has said, you are absolutely not going to uh, be able to talk to uh, our people because they don't know. And it's we're really close to the closing. The buyer's financing has been approved uh, and, and all of that. But but we made it, the buyer made it a condition that they would not go, go ahead with it unless they had access to the staff. In this case, we call them the staff because they're not a team. So a lot depends on the practice culture. A lot depends on the relationship between the, but, but you've got to dig deep enough to know those things and know what exists in the culture of that practice, not just review all the financials. You've got to do that in your due diligence if you're a buyer. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you've got to get all the answers you possibly can. Yeah. But, but those are some huge issues. They are. Uh, they are. And you're, you know, you're speaking my jam here too, because, um, and again, you know, 
I love talking to, we got a third person in the room here, Paul, as we talk, and it's the sometimes the younger dentist listening. So you might be confused yeah. by this message, but at the same token, you'll always hear this. Your building is not your greatest asset. Your patients, those charts, even if they're digital, not your greatest asset. That CBCT, not your greatest asset. Your greatest asset you will ever have will be those amazing people that help you build this practice. And when you can get your brain around how to grow, develop, um, create leaders in your practice, you know, share uh, wonderful stories with these amazing people that help you build a legacy practice. Now it becomes an unbelievable asset that many people would love to be a part of. And now you've got that much more value on your hands. Let me ask you this though, Paul, Okay, so let me just throw a little complexity in there because I always want to be thinking about it. But Paul, what if I'm like, what if I have a partner and maybe I got an associate, you know, type of thing and I want to transition, do the same rules apply if I have a partner and other producers in there and how do you see that process? That's a, that's a little bit of a different situation. So if you're going to move, for example, if you're going to move an associate into partnership, mm -hmm. And, and that's an objective. Uh, the team's going to have to support that. Yeah. The partner's going to, they're, they're, they're all, all living together. And, and so I think they need to have awareness. They don't, they're not going to have involvement in the, uh, in, in the interviewing process because the other doctor's already there. Yeah. Um, so there are situations where the team, uh, you know, let me give you an example. If you have somebody there who, who's an associate, you've already got a partner, as you said, and, and now you have an associate. If the team doesn't believe in that associate, but somehow they're going to become an owner, uh, that you, you're going to really have an issue there. Yeah. They'll see be, that. They'll see that well ahead see of that time. And, yeah. and they'll find it really difficult and challenging to support that person as an owner. Yeah. Absolutely. So that I totally get it. And that that's that I agree. That's a complex process. Now let's go back to this. So you probably have a process that's laid out for this. When you're engaging a seller and a potential buyer, you try to get them all on the same page. And do you have a process that's outlined and say, okay, here's how this is going to work. Now you don't have to share everything with us, but like you set up the interview, give us a little sense of how that process works. Once you put those two together at some point. We begin our process with a new client uh, who, who's wanting to put a, a plan together. We spend a day and a half to two days, depending on, a, on whether it's a solo practice, uh, a multi-doctor practice, or whatever the time we spend together would be, uh, would be uh, variable. We include the doctor and the spouse. Okay. And we, we pull a whole bunch of information on the practice, financials, uh, practice management software reports, and, and things like that. We have a lengthy checklist that we use for that. So we're well aware of what's happening financially in the practice before we meet. And then we, and then we sit down and the very first, we spend the first morning together uh, getting to know them personally. Who are you? Where'd you grow up? What, what was your family like? What was it like to grow up in that community? Uh, what are some of the things you greatly enjoyed, you know, as a, as a young kid and as a teenager? And how did you get on a path 
to uh, become a dentist and why? Yeah. And, and all those kinds of things. And, and uh, are you practicing right now the way you intended to practice when you first dealt with a, putting a vision together, even if you didn't call it a vision? Right. You know, and, and all those kinds of things. Who influenced you along the way? Who are valued mentors in your life? And and things like that. That's all part of the questionnaire that I have put together. Yeah. That, that doctor and spouse each answer. Um, and and uh, we do a visualization about the future and, and that kind of thing as well, which is fun. Yeah. And gets them really involved. And then once we get in, to the plan, we there are typically potentially more than one right answer available in terms of putting a transition plan together with someone. It's not our transition plan, it's theirs. Right. So this is why we need to get to know them so much. Right, now go back to that because I think what you said is really important. A lot of times in a selling situation, you're like, no one's gonna buy this and you only think there's gonna be one buyer. I'm of the belief that if you're patient enough and you're ne- you don't need the money like right now, you're going to find a buyer and there'll be multiple buyers. Would you you can disagree with me, but I would I would love to know your thoughts on that. I absolutely do agree with that. Uh we've been we've seen so many different situations. We've seen people in in huge cities and and we've seen people in rural America done help people do transitions and that my my core belief is that there's always somebody out there yeah. who would love to be in your practice. Love that. Love that. And love to and love to live in your community. Yeah. No matter where you're at. No matter what no you're matter doing. No matter where you're at. I totally agree. Uh, two of my favorite dentists of all time, one from Fresno, another one from San Antonio, both said to me, No one's ever gonna be able to buy this practice. And sure enough, they found the perfect buyers for them. Yeah. And they charted the next chapter of their lives in a wonderful way. And so just, I think part of it is, is being patient enough to have the right buyer. Now, let me go back to one other thing too, Paul, because I also know that not everybody listening to this has the perfect team. I don't know if anyone has the perfect team, but say, let's say I'm a dentist. Okay. So I got eight team members, you know, six of them are great. Or, you know, five of them are great. I got three of them. Not so great. I don't know. Do I involve everyone? Like I, I got of those three of those eight, I maybe two of them might not say great things about me. Like, would I even want them in this process? Like, let's just call that out. What do you think about that? If you have if you have a core team uh, of, of believers, yeah. if you will, and people dedicated to what you're what you're doing together, and they they love being there, and it's a, a, a an arrangement of mutual respect and all that kind of thing, those people need to be involved. Okay. Those people need to be involved. You do not need to, the entire team at first. Eventually, that will happen. But you can begin with the core team. I always say, when in looking at teams, I, I totally agree. It, it's a, always a work in progress. When you're putting a team together as a young doctor, uh, what, you, what you really need is, is at least two people that you hire who are flammable. Tell me what that you know, means. Like <laughs> they're capable of like being lit on fire. Oh, okay, okay, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a good way. All right. About what about what you're doing <laughs> and how important it is. And I would agree you know, with that. 
that that works with anything. Like if you're building a family, you know, it starts with the nucleus, which is you and your spouse or significant yeah. other. And from there you create this, this wonderful, whatever it is that you create, but you're right. You, you have to start with a core group um, and work your way out. <laughs> Not yeah. the other way of like, I got to find a big group, no, a core group and start there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now other yeah. things like how, how might I temper the conversation with my team? Take me into that. I know, you know, you don't have to disclose your whole entire process, but let's say we do this, Paul. How am I going to, like, how, what's the first conversation sound like when I pull them all in the room and it's going to be different than, hey, look, I'm selling the practice and there's a new owner, but hey, look, here's what I'm thinking um, and here's what we're going to do. How would I even get my brain around that conversation? It usually happens uh, when people uh, no longer have hair on their heads or it's different color than it was originally. Wait, 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 wait. Come on. My hair went away at 14, so that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Mine's in the process. Yeah. 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 So you, uh, in in, what you want to do. Well, go up, ask me that again, Kirk. So um, let's just talk about the first conversation I'm going to have with my team about this process. I am engaging this guy named Paul Sludden. He's awesome. couple things I want to let you guys know about on the horizon. Here are my thoughts. And this is what's going to happen in the next few months. Is that kind of how the conversation would go at the end of the day on a Thursday or something like that with my team and let them know that I'm going to include them in this process. How would I get my brain around that conversation? Depending on the situation, I might say to them, uh, you know, our patients have been asking me for quite some time now, how much longer I'm going to practice. Because they do. They do. All the time. And I would say to the team, and and I've never had that conversation with you, Mm. the team. And I am thinking about that. And I'm going to uh, work with the Slatton group to put together a plan. And the plan's going to take some time. We're going to be patient with it. But we're going to go out and look for my successor. And I want to involve you in that. Uh, I, I want to be transparent. Yeah. No, I'm not going to be, tra- I'm not telling this to the team. I'm not going to be transparent. I'm not going to let you know what I sold the practice for. I'm not going to involve you in those kinds of discussions or how any contracts are put together or, or things like that. But I really want your input on who would fit here. Yeah. Now I'm just going to say this, you guys listening. This is why my team loves Paul. I love Paul. Paul's so nice. He's like, you're really <laughs> I, I love what you're saying. Number one, you're you're getting them ready for this conversation. Yeah. You're also letting know, them know that they're important and that they'll be involved. And you're also setting really clear expectations. This is not going to be your decision. It'll ultimately be mine. Right. I'm going to get some way in so that we can get some buy in, you know, right. and then ultimately I'm going to make a decision and make sure that we do the best that you guys are cared for. Is that kind of how, how it works? That's right. That's the sequence. Wow. Awesome. You know, and, and there's one other thought on this while we're on it. When, when your patients start asking you, how much longer are you going to practice? They're really asking two questions. They're asking you, how long, much longer are you going to practice? But they're also asking you, am I going to have to find another practice when you aren't here anymore? That's so true. So what you want to do is you want to anticipate 
the second question and and you want to let them know that that um before well before i actually retire we will go find a great dentist to come in here and, and work with me and take over the practice so that you and your family and your friends will be able to continue to call this your dental home yeah what's really weird is as you're telling me this paul all the dots are connected uh, connecting for me. So Dr. Barrett Straub, who uh, works here at ACT, and he's he's like, you guys got to understand that with patients and with dental team members, we can introduce tra- change, but you have to let them know, here are the changes, but here are some things that won't change. You can always expect this. And with your process, you can authentically say to a patient, there are going to be some changes. I am going to be considering this, or I've even selected someone, but here's what won't change. What won't change is this great team around you, our commitment yeah. to your oral health, how we take care of you. And so the patients need peace of mind that this is going to be their dental home. That's a that's a quadruple win, if not more. Don't you think? I do. Yeah. Any other pitfalls that you have, or or things to consider that you would say to a young dentist when it comes to transition and the team's role in transition? I think the young dentist needs to go through a planning process as well and a self-clarification process in that they need to identify uh, and very carefully identify what kind of uh, practice environment they would thrive in and feel great about and want to be part of mm-hmm. and get really specific about it. And, and that will influence you on, on the importance of the team or how to put a team together. You know, you can't do that all by yourself. Right. You just can't do that. You need help. You need help doing that. You need to work with ACT. You need to, you need to, uh, to make those discoveries about what you really want uh, out of your career. Totally agree. This is a huge investment. So please don't use your brother-in-law who writes contracts or LegalZoom because you can save a lot of money by writing your own deal. I've seen some of the weirdest things when people are like, oh. I'm just going to save some money by doing this. And I would also say, I mean, one other thing, we, we've talked about this a little bit, dual representation or single representation, you know, talk about that. As a buyer seller, do you want unique parties on each side? You never want like one person managing both sides, no different than a real estate transaction, true or false on that side of things. That's a uh, conflict of interest. It is. One person representing both sides. Uh, and an exception to that might be, finishing a, a contractual relationship between people who've been successfully practicing together for a long time. Right. And you just need to put that final piece together. Yeah. Uh, but typically we, when we meet a young buyer and we're representing the seller in a transition, we always talk to the young buyer if they haven't already done this to find an advisor who can help them look at this opportunity and who, but but please be careful and only select somebody who knows the dental playing field. Yeah, and 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 is dental specific in terms of uh, their awareness. Yeah, I don't want I don't want your cousin from Toledo who knows a guy. Yeah, you know to 
to do this. Totally agree. And so, Paul, you're our guy. I trust you tremendously. You've been there for me in the good times and the challenging times with people that we love. And you've always done an amazing job. So I'm so grateful. Any last thoughts as we wrap this up on the team's role in transition? I would just encourage everyone who's thinking about doing something like this uh, and, and transitioning your practice to take some action, knowing that it can take time and you need and you're going to want to be patient. Um, if somebody asked me today, how long will it take to sell my practice if I'm in a good, successful solo practice? Uh, my answer is we're not sure, but we're going to need to be patient. Sometimes it's the first person to come along. Sometimes it's the 31st. We've had that circumstance. So you need to be patient and, and you got to, you, you need to put a plan together, uh, ideally five years out from the time of your transition. Yeah. Where you can put it out three years and still make it. Yeah. But we, we do run into people who say, okay, it's March. I want to sell my practice by May. That's true. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Another, an, I'll just add another layer of why you need to do this and really think about the long tail of it is if you live in the community that you practice in, it's extra okay. important. I have too many dentists that I have known that have sold their practices and they had to move because you know why they sold the practice and they can't even go to the grocery store anymore without getting an earful of how great it was when you were the dentist. And now this new person, it's yeah. a mess over there, you know, like, and they're like, I can't even go to my own grocery store. We had to move to a neighboring town or we moved to Florida just to get away from yeah. this. So it's extra important that if you're building something that matters with people that matter, that you leave it in good hands in the end. So Paul, I'm so grateful for our relationship. I want people to be able to find you. So if I'm a dentist listening and I'm not even ready for transition yet, but I might be thinking about it here now, sometime in the future, how the heck do I get a hold of you? First of all, my uh, email address is paul at lifetransitions.com. Transitions, plural. Um, my cell phone is 303-902-9953. Awesome. We look forward to hearing from you and working with you. Thanks a lot, Kirk. Yeah, Paul. I really enjoy our conversations. I do too. And I have like 12 more that I want to have with you because you mentioned this before this one, like I want to go through the nuances of specialty sales and how all yeah. those work. And so I feel like we could do a regular transitions theme on here, just all the details and the nuances in dentistry. Uh, and I, another one that I get all the time, Paul, I want to do is like, I keep getting these offers from these DSOs. Like what are the downsides, upsides, all that kind of stuff. That would be a great show for us to do too. Let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. Well, stick around while I say goodbye to everybody else, but thank you guys for listening to the best practices show. Hey, if you enjoyed today, just like I did, do us a favor, hit the share button, share this episode with your friends. Keep sending us suggestions for things that you want to hear from Paul. I'll get him on. We'll ask him the questions or other things that you want to see. I get them from you guys all the time and I'm lining them up. And uh, until we see you next time, keep watching the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the best practices show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes 
or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show.